0: Hello, and welcome to Slate Money Travel, the bonus mini-series for Slate Money. I'm Felix Salmon of Axios. We normally talk about the business and finance news of the week, but on this series, we're going deep into the business of travel, and specifically today, we have the amazing Jay Sorensen at IdeaWorks. Jay, how are you? I'm delighted to be on your show. And you are basically the person who knows everything there is to know about airline miles and the economics thereof. And so what we are going to do is we are going to do this deep dive into what are airline miles? Why do they exist? Where did they come from? And who is making money from these things? And the answers might well surprise you. They certainly surprised me. So all of that, is a very special midweek treat right here coming up on Slate Money.
1: Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to Slate.com slash live for tickets.
2: <laughs> and the capital of Moldova is? You get bonus points if you get this one right. I have absolutely no idea what, this, what the capital of
0: Moldova is. So I think we can... We can start off this amazing episode of Slate Money Travel by learning the capital of Moldova. What is, Mr. Jay Sorensen, what is the capital of Moldova? It is Chisinau. Okay. And, and, and is it a place I should visit? Is it, on, is it a good place to go? Does it have good
2: food? Well, have we actually begun the, the interview? <laughs> <laughs>
0: This is this is all on the record. Basically, it's like you, you thought you were coming on Slate Money to talk about like wonk out about the economics of airline miles, but in fact, all we want to know is can it's we get Moldova. good food in Kishinev?
2: <laughs> well, um, you know, it. I actually, I, I actually was in Kishinev and I had a wonderful Georgian meal. Uh, so, but Moldova is a very challenged spot on the planet in terms of uh, its its politics, its its economy and uh it's it's people it's um moldova needs a whole lot of care and attention from the rest of the world because uh it's a it's in a tough place okay
0: uh i will i will i will keep i will keep my plans my, my slovene plans i have a i have a whole plan of um doing a a kind of spamelnik brutalist architecture tour at some point.
2: So I'll keep those plans. I won't, I won't change that to, to, a, to going to Moldova. There's these things that are nicknamed Stalin's birthday cakes, and they were gifts of the Soviet Union. And they're, they're typically like the main building in some of these former Soviet capitals, like Riga has one, Warsaw has one, and, a Ro- and I don't know if Romania was, Bucharest was gifted one, but these are brutalist Structures that um, that have a tiered sort of effect that look like a, a birthday cake or a wedding cake, and um, they're pretty hideous. And they're 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 a delightful reminder of of what the Soviets did in terms of um, uh, damaging architecture.
0: I, I stayed in one of those ones. I feel like the Sheraton Hotel in Sofia, Bulgaria, <laughs> is is one of those, and which is actually. Worthy. which is actually the perfect segue because the reason I was the reason I was staying in the Sheraton hotel in Sofia, Bulgaria is because I was giving a talk there but I was also accumulating my Sheraton points which <laughs> I was getting by 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 using my Starwood American Express card and and so I have stayed in many um Sheraton aligned properties over the years they locked me in through my through my card and I became a, a loyal starwood person of course that's all over now they got bought by Marriott but um but this is exactly what we wanted to talk to you about, which is like why do these points exist and who is making money off them um, and so I guess the place to start is just, um, we should have done this ages ago. If you could just introduce yourself and explain to us who you are and and how you managed to get into this um, curious corner of the capitalist world.
2: Well, I I am an airline professional. I I started my airline career in 1984 working for, actually before that, for a a small little regional airline that, that I worked for when I was in college. But my first real airline job was with an airline called Midwest Express that was based in Wisconsin or Milwaukee, and I worked there for 12 years and was director of marketing. And while I was there, uh, helped start uh, the frequent flyer program. And I left the airline in 1996 and started the IdeaWorks company, consulting firm. And one of the areas that we work with airlines worldwide is on the topic of loyalty marketing. Uh, so it's been a you know it's it's been a great ride, and I really enjoy working with these programs because they can be so so very creative creative i I like that word it's it's you know um i feel like
0: creative is one of those words which which occludes a multiple a multitude of sins but i i i want to get into into this idea um so i think at first glance um people look at what you call a loyalty program and go, well, yeah, it's a loyalty program. What happens is if I use your product a lot, if I I fly on your airline a lot, you'll give me little, you know, points, these magical little things. And if I accumulate enough points, then that will get me status and upgrades and free flights and make me feel special and, and, you know, get me on the plane earlier and all of these other wonderful things. And that It will turn into a kind of virtuous cycle where um, points beget loyalty and loyalty begets points. And then I just wind up flying on your airline to the exclusion as much as I can of anybody else's airline. And it just kind of works in a closed loop between the airline and the passenger um, is that how they started, or were they always really thought of as, as more of an actual sort of financial profit center?
2: Well, I, I, I don't think you need me for this show. I think you've nicely en- encapsulated <laughs> what these programs are all about. They you know, they, they've been around for more than 30 years and they were originally designed to be nothing like what they are today. Uh, the very first programs were in the US and uh, American, Delta and United uh, were among the, the, the first to, to offer a frequent flyer program. And they were offered by invitation, and they were only offered to those who had the, the, the most amount of flying. And the reward structure was very similar. It was very simple. It was only first-class seats because mm-hmm. the airlines realized that they had excess capacity in first class. And there was no capacity control. So if there was a first-class seat available, you got it. Uh, And eventually the programs grew in complexity and in size where they did add uh, economy class. Uh, But the big game changer for frequent Flyer programs uh, was the arrival of, was the marriage of of credit card activity with a Freaking Flyer program. So give us some dates here. Like
0: when did these things start? When do they move into economy class? And then when do they become financialized?
2: 30 plus years ago, these programs started. And then probably... I would imagine 25 years ago, uh, the first credit cards began to show up, and that really changed the the financials of. Well, it, no, it, it it remade forever remade the financial relationships uh, for these frequent flyer programs. When I consult with my airline clients, I I say the strongest, the best programs are designed to rest on three on a three legged stool, and the three legs are communication the loyalty effect, and the cash generated by the program. The loyalty effect is what you've talked about already, and that is if you give someone the opportunity to accumulate points uh, for uh, tied to purchase behavior, they will. And it's, it, it is a type of addiction. Um, you know, there was a, a social experiment done in Chicago, the University of Chicago, um, probably a decade ago, in which a professor gave a group... Um defined for a group, if you did this amount of work, you got paid cash for it. Another group, if you did the same amount of work, you got points for that work that you could c- convert into an equal amount of cash. Well, the surprising result was that the group that was working for points worked harder than the group that was working directly for cash. So that demonstrates the power of the loyalty effect. The second leg of the stool is... Communication And that is when you are enrolled in a frequent flyer program, there's two-way communications occurring. First, the consumer, the member, is giving up their data in terms of what they have purchased, their purchase behavior, because they're earning points for it. And then the airline has the ability to communicate with the member to talk to them about promotions. It creates a very uh, direct relationship between the airline and the consumer. And then the third thing is probably where this program is going to focus its its, its, its attention, and that is the credit cards. And this is the cash that's generated uh, by a frequent flyer program through the sale of miles or points to partners such as banks. So you just kind of blew my mind there.
0: And, yes, you're absolutely right. We're going to talk about the, um, the credit cards and the massive influx of cash that they brought into the entire ecosystem. We'll do that in a minute. But… I'm really fascinated about this communication idea, and it had never occurred to me before that um, that this is a kind of 25-year-old big data play, if you will, and that back in the days when people were buying airline tickets through travel agencies, or even today, I guess, if you buy an airline, I don't know what happens today. I'm, I'm very confused about how how... Ticketing works today. But back in the day, when people were buying airline tickets through travel agencies, there was a huge degree of opacity um, that the airlines didn't really know who was sitting in those seats with those tickets and had no ability to communicate with those individuals directly. And the idea of a frequent flyer number was that the travel agent would just like write down the frequent flyer number. Um, along with the ticketing request, or maybe it would happen at the gate. And then that would allow the airline to know exactly who was in that seat and to communicate with that person directly in a way that they weren't able to do hitherto.
2: There's also another story that's tied uh, to this, this opacity that you're talking about, and that is in the, in the initial reservation systems, the airlines did not know what fare was paid by the customer when they booked through a travel agent. They eventually did know probably weeks or months later when the actual paper ticket was processed. Now that, that process was called uh, revenue accounting. Um, and it's a very bizarre and, 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 and complicated art. So why we have miles is testimony to that difficulty of capturing what the customer had paid for the ticket. So, The airline said, you know, when someone books a reservation, originally, we did not know what they paid. And they they said, well, what do we know about them? Well, we know where they get on the airplane. We know where they get off. Oh, what's that tied to? Well, that's tied to miles. And so that's why we have miles uh, for frequent flyer (laughs) programs as opposed to points. And if you look at, you know, the rest of the world in terms of loyalty, it's always based upon spend. It's only in the airline business that we have this rather bizarre situation in which it's based upon distance, uh, which today bears little resemblance to the value that a customer may have to the airline.
0: Wow. So it's this atavistic kind of holdover from, from the days when everything had to get reconciled with pieces of paper. That's why we still talk about airline miles. And that's why people still think in terms of miles.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's and it's it the the system. We believe um, that the system is going to eventually change to a revenue-based system. What happens at many airlines today is very clunky, and you know one of the w- one of the most important things about a loyalty program is that when a mem- when a member a member should know what their behavior will yield in terms of benefit. And if you go into a Starbucks, you use your 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 loyalty card. You have an idea of what the payback is. In the airline business, it has become so opaque in terms of, and it, and it really reduces the loyalty effect. And that is, you know, what you what you accrue from a flight is tied to where you, the booking class is tied to the distance is tied is tied to a multiple different things. So the airline industry over the course of time has tried to make this mileage-based system more reflect the cash paid by a customer, and in doing so has really created a mess of it. And so you have programs such as Southwest or JetBlue that clearly tie accrual to the amount of money spent by the customer. And even with American Delta United now, you see that accrual is tied to what you're spending on the airline. So we believe that the, the, the rest of the world is going to eventually adopt this method of, of basing accrual upon spending, which then, of course, removes, then it begs the question, why are these things called miles anymore? And eventually that too will change.
0: <laughs> so So um, that's the, the perfect segue for us to get into the other great way of um, accumulating miles, which is just using your credit card to pay for groceries. We'll come back to that in a second.
1: Subject to credit approval. Terms apply.
0: Hello, I'm Imi Harper. On the
1: Slow Newscast from Tortoise, I tell the
0: story of how a Hong Kong billionaire was silenced.
2: I got bombs thrown into my house. I got people camp here, at my computer. And I, I got people fractured
0: me. I got this and that, but I'm safe. And what it reveals about the freedoms Hong Kong no longer enjoys. Listen to Hong Kong's rebel billionaire on the Slow Newscast wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so here's the meat. Credit cards. I can I can accumulate however many miles I I mean, unless I'm a super road warrior, business traveler type, you know, there's a, probably a limited number of miles that I'm going to be able to accumulate by buying the occasional $400 ticket to go visit my aunt in Duluth. The... Real place where people see thousands and thousands of miles just accumulating automatically month in and month out is through loyalty cards and through these credit cards that every time I buy a iced coffee on my Amex like I get these magical points So walk us through a little bit like how this started and and how this
2: changed everything well let me ask, be, begin by asking a question do you actually have an aunt in Duluth? I do not have an aunt in Duluth, I have to admit. <laughs>
0: okay.
1: I kind of random. made up my aunt it's, in Duluth.
0: I, I apologize okay. to my fictional aunt in you're, Duluth so, for, so, for, for, so, for killing you off so, just
2: as soon as I invented you. So so you're trying to establish some street credibility with the Midwestern here by, by pulling out this random Duluth thing. Okay. To I be, honest, I, to I be honest,
0: I've never even been to Duluth and I'm not sure I could find it on a map. <laughs>
2: Well, I know everyone wants to be a midwesterner nowadays, so it's it's I, I understand I understand the 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 desire completely. <laughs> um, credit cards. So, credit cards have effectively become another method in which airlines sell travel. And I like to say they sell travel a mile at a time. Right now, for most of the major US for, no, for for the major US programs, uh American, Delta, and United, uh 60% or more of the miles that they are, uh, that are being accrued are from credit card or partner activity. Within the partner activity, uh, the vast majority, probably 90% of it is tied to credit cards with the other 10% being linked to other retail behavior, hotels, uh, and, and, and car, uh, car rental bookings. So credit card activity has become a giant component of frequent flyer finances today and
0: to and to oversimplify basically the way it works is that the credit card companies the card issuers um pay millions and millions of dollars to the airlines in return for the points and then you get like a whole secondary um Loyalty cycle going on with the credit cards that you that the people will be loyal to using one credit card rather than another credit card because if they use this credit card and they wind up earning a whole bunch of miles on American or United or or something like that.
2: Yeah, the 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 airline wants to have a continuous presence in the lives of its consumers, and while you may not fly every week, uh, you certainly use your charge card perhaps on a daily basis. And so that is just a reminder. It creates attachment between the consumer and the airline when they use the credit card to accrue points and the points are tied to travel. Uh, it just it, it, it creates this daily bond between the airline brand and individual consumers. And, and so yeah, I'm looking at some numbers here um, in terms of the programs in, in the United States. It's very meaningful income uh, because if you look at the uh, American Advantage Program, when you, take the, when you take the revenue that they generate from, this, from the uh, Advantage Program uh, sale of, of, of points to partners, on a per-passenger basis, it's over $15. If you use it, if you uh, calculate it on a per-member basis, and the Advantage Program has about 100 million members, it's $31 per member per year. Uh, there are programs out there uh, in the world that have pretty amazing rates of revenue when you look at it on a per-passenger, per per-member basis. The Qantas program in Australia, Qantas probably has more than 20 banks a- associated with its, with its Frequent Flyer program. And in that case, they're nearing $100 per-member uh, revenue uh, associated with the Frequent Flyer Program uh, and, and its relationship with with brand credit cards
0: and the associated cost. I mean, you know, they 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 obviously get lots of lovely money from the banks um, in return yeah. for the miles that they that they're selling. The associated cost is now they're on the hook for providing seats and upgrades and that kind of stuff. Um, There's is a liability, that a, right? Is is that a real Cost like how? How does what in if the average revenue per member is thirty bucks? What's the average liability per per member? Is that is that quantifiable?
2: Well, what I like to say is is the the airline is is a seat factory. When you run these programs correctly, uh, the marginal cost of providing a reward is very very low, and so you know it could be you know the marginal cost of providing a reward could be ten to twenty dollars. Uh, and that's the direct cost associated with adding a passenger to a flight. Um, so the programs were originally designed to say the following. We believe that rewards that we give to our members really don't have a full cash cost to the airline because we are managing the inventory availability in a way that we are offering only excess capacity for reward travel. And that has largely remained true today except that we've seen a lot of pressure because there's just so many miles that have been, have been accrued by members that this excess capacity, when combined with really high load factors on, air, on airlines today, um, really is pushing the limit of that, of that original premise. And so airlines have had to begin to provide seats that they could sell for, on a cash basis to consumers. They've had to do that because over the last five years, it's just been a tremendous amount of pushback from consumers about, hey, you aren't giving us enough reward seats. And and that's been true. Uh, However, in the last five years, I think the airline industry has done a lot of work to address that that problem. So what they're doing is they're basically taking seats out of the
0: bucket that they expect to sell and putting it into the bucket that they expect to give away. And every time you take a seat out of a bucket that you expect to sell, all of that Sales revenue just disappears,
2: right? And so, you know, let's this, this, let's let me return to the to the to the economics of these programs in terms of how the credit card program works. So, an airline will strike a deal with a bank, and the these 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 relationships now are far more complicated than they were um, originally because they begin to touch. All of the points of revenue uh, that these card programs generate. So there's a card portfolio out there, and that card portfolio is going to generate revenue from the annual fee that's charged. In many cases, it's waived for the first year, but that's revenue to the bank. And then there's also what they call sin fees, and that is if you're late, if you're paying late, um, you know you're going to pay a fee for that. That's revenue for the for the for the card program. Uh, interest when you are. <coughs> <clears throat> um, charging and not, and you're revolving, you're paying off on a monthly basis as opposed to paying off your balance. You're going to incur interest expense. Well, that's revenue for the bank. And then, of course, there's the, the big part is the interchange. And that is whenever you use your card at a retailer, at a merchant, there's a percentage, perhaps 2% or more, uh, that that merchant pays for the processing of that credit card um, uh transaction. So all of this lines up on the revenue side for the bank. Now let's talk about the cost side. So on the cost side, when you have a credit card and you're going to, you're obviously going to accrue miles, those miles are purchased uh, by the bank from the airline and deposited to your account. And the the per, you know, what, what those, what those miles are purchased for can run from penny and a half to two pennies per mile is what the uh, bank is paying for those miles plus if you have a card that's going to have certain benefits associated with it like free baggage early boarding or some of the more expensive cards have lounge access there's even a financial transaction that occurs between the airline and the bank when those when those services are used
0: also it's it's not it's not just uh, it's not just a uh a a flat fee or whatever that, that there's actually someone is like keeping track of if I have a platinum card and I use that to get into a lounge, like that gets noted somewhere. And it's when I actually use that service that the bank will pay the
2: airline for it. Yeah, and so it's going to be at a discounted price because obviously sure. the, the bank is buying in tremendous volume from the airline for these services. It's going to be at a discounted price, and there may be caps in terms of, you know, if you use that, that service X times per year, well, then X plus one, the fee is no longer charged to the bank. They cap it um, wow. just to to, to restrict, to, to, to control the exposure, cost exposure that the that the bank may have. In the past, I would say... Three years, the advantage, the negotiating advantage, has really been on the side of the airline to extract a lot of revenue out of these programs um, from the from the bank,
0: because the banks are basically selling a commodity product, which is this payment device, and the, and the only way they can distinguish themselves from any other credit card is by having a glistening long list of rewards that you get for using their credit card rather than someone else's?
2: Well, for a component of the marketplace, a component of the marketplace, they simply demand an airline-associated product, an airline co-brand product. And so the banks struggle with that. Uh, But there's also this weird dynamic of the banks are also competing with the airlines with their own bank-issued cards that are oftentimes... Travel oriented and, and and you know Chase and City and American Express all have card uh, types that award points that can be redeemed for travel or cash back and and so this market is is this idea this market is pretty frothy at the moment in terms of um, uh, the 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 economic pressures. Uh, on these portfolios as well as these competitive issues that exist. So when you say frothy, um, you mean that the,
0: like the number of miles being issued and the price per mile and all of that is at kind of relatively high levels that we might expect maybe to fall back
2: at some point? Well, I t- I'll tell you that there's this, this whole house is built upon one thing, and that is the continued ability – of banks of uh, to charge, I would say, relatively high merchant fees to retailers. Uh, in countries in the world, in Europe and Australia, for example, those merchant fees have been capped, um, and it has really changed the dynamics of the credit cards in those in those in those areas. In the U.S. We presently have a very open marketplace in terms of you know no not an open marketplace a marketplace that has not regulated these things uh, in terms of the government has basically said you know we're going we're not going to become involved as a regulator of these fees we trust the marketplace to determine um, what's going to happen well the marketplace is comprised basically of Visa Mastercard and American Express and all the banks that are aligned behind these brands. And, you know, as long as, this, as long as these high interchange rates are out there, um, you know, we'll have card products like we have. But I, I must confess that I have followed this a bit, and the premise of the government becoming involved is based upon, well, if you cap these fees, the merchants, of course, will um, pass on the savings to the customer. In the analysis I've seen in the Australian and European markets, um, the analysis I've seen has suggested that, that hasn't occurred, uh, that the merchants have pocketed the the difference. And so I I think that the status quo will prevail in the U.S., uh, and, and that means that we will continue to have uh, these very um, rewarding uh, co uh, products. But they certainly are, you know, it, it I can't stress how much these cards mean the bottom line of, of airlines in the United States. So, I mean, that certainly explains why you don't have
0: rewards debit cards. I mean, debit interchange fees are regulated Correct. by Dodd-Frank and they're very low. And so right. no one's going to make money off those. Um, yep. I am interested, though, in the idea that, you know, on the one hand, we've had regulation of interchange of credit interchange in Australia, and on the other hand, you tell me that Qantas still has more revenue from these things than any other airline. It's like it's—it
2: doesn't seem to have harmed them that much. Well, you know, Qantas just has a huge penetration. Um, I think I was reading that there was uh, Qantas estimated that more than thirty percent of all credit card volume in the country uh, is tied to a uh, a Qantas linked uh, credit card. Which is amazing, you know. When you think about the impact that that has on the economics of of, of a of a of a country, uh, it's it's very it's amazing. It's stunning. It's amazing.
0: So, I mean, if I'm if I'm a Qantas credit card holder, I can see that value um, in terms of hey, I get a free flight on Qantas at some point. Um, right. If I'm not a Qantas credit card holder, if I'm just you know an American, say. Um, Flying on Qantas for my, you know, to visit my aunt in, um, you know, Melbourne, um, who also doesn't exist. The then, um, then do I benefit as well? Insofar as Qantas has this lovely um, revenue stream that it wouldn't otherwise have, and therefore it can charge me less per seat because it has other ways of making money.
2: Oh boy, that's that's a you know I I don't know that I'm going to jump in and, and and weigh in on either side of that uh, of that logic. Um, I, I'll say this that that you as a because Qantas is part of an alliance, you know when you do take that flight on Qantas, let's say you're a member of the American Advantage program, and Qantas is part of that um, of the One World Alliance that you will, that your travel on Qantas will accrue, can accrue points in your advantage right. uh, membership. So, I mean, there's there's that benefit to you that's very direct. Uh, but in terms of, you know, do these, well, you know, I will say this, you know, during the last economic downturn uh, for the U.S. programs, the credit card uh, portfolios were the only things making money for the airlines. And so to a certain extent... Um, when we went through the, when we breezed through the 2008s, um, to, through 2008, 2009, uh, the, the, the portfolios uh, held by uh, American Delta United uh, probably kept those airlines afloat. And they actually did a bunch of deals, if I remember. I, I vaguely remember Delta,
0: ha- like, just selling some enormous number of miles to American yep. Express in, like, a big one or deal. Yeah, and I think, I think a,
2: a, a, to American Express, and I think American also, um, I believe they had a loan uh, that was guaranteed against uh, future mileage receipts uh, from Citi. Uh, so, they they were, I mean, for a while, they were the only profitable component of those airlines. And, you know, it's and it's... It it this is all this is good stuff from a, from a from a financial perspective because it takes away the revenue from these programs is very stable uh, and airline fares and airline fuel expense oftentimes are not stable so it does layer in something at, at below that's a stable source of revenue uh, that helps um, counteract. The, the 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 far more risky side of the airline business being passenger fares and the price of fuel wow uh, perhaps you could call it a hedge against that type <laughs> of uh, risk
0: oh it's just it's just predictable recurring income basically, which is you know something everyone wants and has seemingly transformed the airline industry i guess I only have one more question for you then, which is that is this particular advantage for the very large airlines who can credibly claim to fly anywhere that you're going to want to fly and who you can realistically be loyal to compared to smaller airlines who might not have as many routes and so you you know it doesn't matter if you're loyal to them you can't fly them because
2: they don't go where you're going oh there's tremendous market power from these programs and i i recall um you know there 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 was a yeah, I, I, I won't go down that path. Um, no, there's, there's, there is, there is, tremendous leverage that airlines enjoy uh, from these giant programs. I mean, look, they all have, you know, the big three, American, Delta, United, all have a hundred million plus members, and when you think about that reach, uh, what they can do with that membership in terms of, you know, let's say that there's a particular strategic need in a market. To offer triple points or triple miles, you, know, you can imagine what that does to a competitor who doesn't have that type of reach. Uh, so, no, they they are they are very powerful. Certainly, very powerful engines of loyalty. And and just
0: like back at the envelope. If I have a hundred million members and I'm getting thirty dollars per member per year, that's three billion dollars a year, which is real money even to an airline.
2: Yeah, I mean these these programs, the big three programs. Uh, And actually, I'll include Southwest, you know, it's multi-billion is what they're generating revenue from these programs now on an annual basis. And everyone has a favorite
0: airline. People, you know, it's almost impossible to run into anyone who doesn't go, oh, that airline's really good, that airline's really bad. You know, people have strong opinions on that. Do loyalty programs have, I, I feel like... I'm not clear whether people have the same opinion of loyalty programs and whether it's all like tied up in your opinion of the airline. Is, is there like a different ranking for loyalty programs than there is for airlines or is it pretty much the
2: same? Well, every spring we undertake a a, a giant exercise at my consulting firm in which we go out and do, we do thousands of queries uh, to, to ask the question who has more available rewards and that um that exercise indicates that there really are differences the distinctions are less in the US for domestic travel at one point they were uh but generally speaking the the big 3 airlines American Delta United have all you know they all have similar levels of reward availability domestically the 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 challenge has been if you have if you accrue more miles you're going to want to probably spend them on a trip overseas um using economic uh an economy reward or a business class reward, and there we have found that there's um a big difference in terms of well there's far fewer business class rewards than there is to meet demand we believe huh so that
0: that because I guess the 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 cabins are smaller they just don't have as many seats and there's a lot of people who want them, and a lot of those seats are being sold for cash,
2: yeah. Well, yes, I mean, but, you know, to give you some specific numbers, we um, looked at, if you look at um, short-haul reward availability, um, I'm scrolling on I'm looking at a spreadsheet right now, we looked at short-haul rewards, and among the U.S. carriers, essentially 25,000 miles or points are equivalent. I mean, if you spend $25,000 on a credit card, it's going to generate 25,000 miles in advantage Uh, mileage plus or sky miles, it also will generate 25,000 points in the Southwest program or in the JetBlue program. So if you consider that, you can kind of say, you know, miles and points are almost the same thing. Um, When we did our queries, 100% of the time, we were able to find a reward on Southwest Airlines. That number drops a bit uh, as you consider other carriers. So for American, it was 92.9% of the time. Uh, the same number for Delta, 92.9% of the time. And then United was 78.6% of the time. We were able to find an economy uh, reward uh, for in, in, in their top markets. I can also give you the numbers if you want um, to see how they're different. Um, for long haul flights, if you wish,
0: yeah. Tell me about what's. In, I mean, obviously, Southwest isn't, doesn't offer international business class seats, but for the,
2: those who do, what's the availability? Well, it, the, the, funny enough, Turkish Airlines was on top, and Turkish Airlines for a long time was at the bottom of our rankings. But over the course of time, uh, they have uh, they, they obviously have done a lot of work on making their rewards long haul rewards more available. But for uh, long haul markets. 98.6% of the time on Turkish, we were able to find a seat. If you begin to look at the U.S. carriers, it drops down to 72.9% of the time for United, 71.4% of the time for American, and then 51.4% of the time for Delta. Wow. Um, so it's, 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 uh, that's, that's an interesting stat as well. We also look at um, the average price. And so <clears throat> that's a pretty telling statistic as well. Um, the average price for these various for these carriers. And when we look at their top markets, we also obviously look at the reward price in miles or points. And for 2018, Southwest came in at seven thousand five hundred and seventy nine which was by far the lowest, um, the average among the u s carriers was nineteen thousand six hundred and sixteen, so in this particular case, you see Southwest coming in uh far far below um, united for example, uh, the average reward price was twenty eight thousand and five hundred wow so th- there there is a difference in these programs uh in terms of their how they price their product and how they make reward seats available to their members
0: I feel like that's a that's a whole other episode which I will be diving into is like how to pick your mileage program and how, how much you should care about it and how much effort you should spend on it and how much you should just, like, not... You know, yeah, get, it's interesting. You know,
2: you know, American Airlines, um, a few years ago, released a statistic in which uh, more than 25% of their members who had taken a reward had actually never bought a ticket on the airline. So that was the, the the first time they'd ever flown on American was when they redeemed uh, like some miles. The first time they had yes, and so well, I, I won't. I don't know if I if I could say that, but the first time that they had, you know, among the among those who had taken a reward on the program, twenty five percent of them, more than twenty five percent, had never bought a ticket. So they had accrued all those miles, principally through partnering. Oh no through partner activity and obviously principally through the credit card. And so it's interesting that that's a that's an example of you know there's a there's a dynamic there in which a good number of members weirdly speaking were not a customer of the airline. <laughs> wow. That's that's absolutely
0: fascinating. So um Jay, thank you so much for explaining this to me. I have You're welcome. learned so much from this. I am now an... I, for the next 30 minutes, I'm going to be an expert on all things airline miles, and I'm going to forget it all. But this was absolutely fascinating. I am now going to resuscitate my aunts in both Duluth and uh, <laughs> Melbourne so that I can, I can find an excuse to cash in some airline miles and go visit them. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing talking to you. You're welcome. So, thank you all for listening to this special bonus edition of Slate Money Travel. We'll have more on wonky travel-related economic questions next week.
2: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early,